0: Hello and welcome to The Natural Evolution, produced by Rebel Health Tribe, a radio show focused on providing you with inspiration, education, and tools for true healing and transformation. I'm Michael, and I'll be your guide on this adventure as together we explore the very nature of the healing journey. On today's episode we are joined by cat toops md who is a distinguished fellow of the american psychiatric association board certified by the american board of psychiatry and neurology and previously boarded in geriatric psychiatry she's also a certified practitioner with the institute for functional medicine dr toops was formerly an assistant professor of psychiatry at uc davis where she was the inpatient residency training director and later the founder and medical director of the bay area research institute a clinical trials research center in Lafayette, California for 12 years. After serving as the principal investigator on over 100 clinical trials, including 20 failed trials for Alzheimer's medication, she realized that the elusive cure for brain and psychiatric illness was not going to be found in a pill. Dr. Toops was a contributing author to the academic textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression, Redefining Models for Assessment, Treatment and Prevention published in 2015 by CRC Press and is currently collaborating with Dr. Dale Bredesen on a prospective clinical trial using a functional medicine method to reverse mild cognitive impairment in early dementia, and the study publication is expected this year, I believe. We'll be talking about that, and Dr. Toops is also the author of a soon-to-be-released book, Dementia Demystified, The Definitive Guide to Resurrecting Your Brain, Reversing Cognitive Decline, and Regaining Your Memory. That's a mouthful. That's a lot you're up to, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's um let's start a little bit more back at the beginning. We'll get into the research in the book eventually, but I want to start out first, I guess thanking you for being here. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are.
1: Well, thank and, you for uh, having I me.
0: It's <laughs> it's going to be fun. Our conversations with with Dr. Toops are always a good time. So, let's I'd like to know you've gotten into functional medicine and dementia is definitely your focus. When you started out, you were not into functional medicine; it was more conventional psychiatry, correct?
1: Right. Yes.
0: What was it that originally drew you to psychiatry?
1: Uh, psychiatry. Well, that goes way back. Sure. Um, to you know, early childhood, grade school. Actually, I I actually enjoyed reading some of the history with Freud and Jung, and and you know, interested in how the mind worked. And um, I also really got interested in parapsychology, kind of supernatural phenomenon and all of that and I read everything I could find about that and when I started college um, I originally was a psychology major because I was interested in in all of those kind of things I actually wished there was a parapsychology major but they didn't have have that Um, and so that's kind of where I started in my educational life Um, but the university I was at I don't know, psychology was considered like basket weaving and people would say, oh, you're in the basket weaving major and so I kind of pivoted and I, you know, ended up getting a degree in physical anthropology and, and uh, went on to graduate school in, in genetics and was studying evolutionary genetics And it's kind of a circuitous path, but it ties back to psychology and psychiatry. Um, And then I got interested in medical genetics, which was brand new at that time in the early 80s. And one of my mentors said, Kat, you need to go to medical school. Um, He said, you know, if you want to do this kind of research with people and human subjects, you'll need to have their blood. And it's just going to be easier instead of having a PhD if you get an MD. And so... I said, "Oh, OK, <laughs> you know, I respected my mentor and I had taken you know, kind of all the most of the right classes that I had one diversion was a computer science major for a couple of years. So I had physics and calculus and all the kind of things you, you need. And um, so I went to medical school and the first year in med- and let me say when I went to medical school, I thought I was going to get the MD degree and go back and finish my Ph.D. and do research. And, and so at the time I said, oh, I don't want to do things to people. And, you know, that wasn't my, my you know, that wasn't my intent. But the first year we studied psychiatry, and that just rekindled all of those you know, early interests. And I just realized this is what I like to study. This is so fascinating. You know, the first summer of medical school, I went and volunteered um, and worked. I was at Charity Hospital in New Orleans, which was quite a, an interesting place to train. Um, it was kind of like third world medicine in a lot of ways. And, uh, and you saw a lot of pathology. Uh, you know, uh, there was a lot of sick people there without great resources. Um, so I, I volunteered and, uh, worked in the psych wards and, um, also had a mentor that I, um, volunteered with in the psych emergency room at charity hospital. And, um, that was my real education starting, I would say that summer, you know, working with so many people. So that's how I got interested in psychiatry, um, was just, you know, probably a lifelong fascination with the brain and how we think and how we relate in our emotions.
0: Interesting, that's quite a winding road. Um, People ask my path and they always expect it to be this linear thing like, oh, I knew I was gonna do this and it never seems to work that way and it's all Uh, zigzagged all over and.
1: Well, and you know, I had several different majors (laughs) along the way. I did too. Uh, You know, and I remember when I started college and I skipped my last year of high school and I went to college, you know, early and I only found out right before it started that I got accepted. And, you know, back then people weren't groomed and they didn't, you know, they didn't have all these counselors, but you met with the counselor at the beginning and he was, you know, helping me to decide what major I wanted to study. And after a little while, he threw up his hands and he said, Kat, You can't study every major in four years, (laughs) but that's what I wanted to do, right? I wanted to to learn everything there, kind of thing. So yeah, and you know, I you know, who knows when they're you know 17, 18 years old. You know, you go in with one thing, but I think it's really important to when life, you know, brings something else in to be able to pivot and, and walk down another path, right? You know, you don't know at that time in your life the full spectrum of possibilities, right? You know, so. Absolutely. I I know some parents worry when their kids are changing their mind. And I say, they'll be fine in the end, a year or two extra. You know, it took me six years to get through college. I had to work and I, you know, was paying my way through and I switched majors. And but everything I learned added to who I am.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. At times I I kind of beat myself up like, I wish I didn't spend so much time on that thing or that degree or that thing that I don't do. Like my initial, my first degree is in history and education. I was a teacher for a few years and I I don't use that at all, but it was interesting information. Learning how to teach has helped me in this career. And right. so everything kind of led to each other, um, but they just don't always, you don't always see that the connection isn't always super clear, but there's always, uh, you know, something gained from it. And so you started out or you did a lot of, a lot of years in research and, and working in clinical studies. I'm guessing the, f- the interest in functional medicine or a more functional approach appeared somewhere towards the tail end of that. Uh, that was at the transition. You were in a lot of clinical research type work and then transitioned to functional medicine. Was there a, was there a, a trigger there? Some Sure. I drove you in no, that direction?
1: Sure. Like most people um, that have to pivot, that are not being helped by traditional medicine, it's our own health problems or our family's health problems. Was, was you it didn't. your own? Is that because it was my own?
0: Okay, cool. Then yeah. we're going to just get into that because this yeah. is, uh, you know, obviously you've been listening to this season of the podcast. You're aware that the, the, the stories that were there, the guests that we're having on for this season, we're talking about stories and healing journeys and transformation. And when I knew that that's what we were going to do with this first season. Uh, Kat was one of the first people I reached out to because she has a rather remarkable story. And what I find so interesting and, and unique and remarkable about it is you, you catch stories from people like, oh, I, I used to have back pain and I don't, or I I had this um, anxiety and I don't, and all those things are great. But Kat's healing story involves a condition which we've been told is irreversible and is only progressive and only moves in one direction. And now that is your passion as a practitioner and a researcher. And so let's just jump right into that. And, and as I hinted in the bio, obviously dementia is where we're going here. So I guess we'll set the stage a little bit about like, what did your life look like? What were you doing at the time? And what did you start to notice? How did you start to realize something wasn't right?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important thing with dementia in general, um, because it's an insidious process. And you have to get to a certain point where, you know, maybe you feel like something isn't right in your brain, but, you know, sometimes it it takes a while before you catch it. And in my case, I was young. At the time, I was 50 years old. This um, was, you know, 11, 11 years ago, I'd say. And... I was running my clinical trials research center. I did over a hundred clinical trials with all kinds of psychiatric medications, neurologic medications, fibromyalgia, sleep studies, sexual dysfunction, you know, all kinds of things. And, and I was passionate about that because I was trained that medicines help people. And I do think there's medicines that help people. Obviously I'm not anti-medicine at all. But what was happening was, especially with my psychiatric patients is the medicines, they just weren't making them well. And each new medicine, I'd get a new study for a new mechanism of action and I'd get all excited. Oh, this is a new mechanism of action. This is going to help the depression patients. And then, you know, things, they, they just, you know, you start to see what happens that they might relieve suffering, but do they get people well, which is really our goal in in medicine when we want to, we want to heal people. We want them to be well. We don't want to just manage a lifelong illness if we can get them well. So, you know, dementia was especially depressing. I did 20 long-term dementia trials and they all failed. I mean, a dementia trial is considered a success if you don't decline quite as fast, but you're still declining. You're still going to go and lose your cognitive function.
0: And it's considered a success in a dementia trial if the progression of the disease slows, but the progression is still heading in a negative direction.
1: Right. We don't have a single drug that stops it or reverses it. Okay. Right. And there, you know, there's been billions and billions of dollars spent on, on all these drugs and they're still doing it. Um, and you know, the, the answer, you know, as some of us have figured out, is it's not gonna be one pill because it's it's a multitude of things that are causing the dementia. So it's it's such a mixed bag that we're not gonna find a pill to cure it. But what happened was, so I'm doing the trials and I had developed immune problems and they probably started, they probably started in residency by residency. It was clear that, you know, I was kind of reactive to things and having some immune problems and, and it kind of waxed and waned in my life, you know, it would flare and I'd have a lot of fatigue and rashes and, you know, this and that, but, um, but it, it had come back, it was flaring at this time. And, um, and I started just becoming allergic to everything and I was covered with rashes and I was covered with hives and I would get up all night long and put on lotions and topical steroids. I couldn't sleep because the itching was making me crazy. And you know, I tested food allergies. I was allergic to like 96 out of 98 foods and smells would give me rashes and hives. But the worst part was all of that inflammation in my body was eating up my brain. And so I would work, I figured it out first off that the cognition was going by testing my patients in my studies. So I would have to give them rating scales and test their memory. And there's a test we did called the Many Mental Status Exam. And you give people three words to remember, like apple, table, penny. And I say, okay, repeat these words. And then I say, okay, remember those. I'm going to come and ask you again in a few minutes. And then I ask them other questions and I come back to the words and I couldn't remember the words. And I had two sets of words that I use and I had used those words for more than 20 years. They were, you know, things well ingrained in my memory. And then I'd go to ask them and I couldn't remember which ones I'd given them. So I had to start writing that down. And and that was my clue, really. Oh my God, I'm getting as impaired as my patients. I can't remember things. Um, and and it just got worse and worse. So I mean that was kind of the start of it. But you know, I um I decided, you know, I need to take a break and I need to, I m- moved all of my ongoing research studies over to another site. And I thought I'm just gonna take a month off and I'm gonna be better. <laughs> Well, it was a three year journey of healing all kinds of things before I was better enough to go back to work. And of course, I got worse before I got better. Um,
0: so, you I noticed mean, your I, own impairment administering memory, cognitive memory tests to people. Right. And, it's and I used a to blessing. have a photographic
1: like, memory. I used to really, I could read 30, 40 pages of notes to study. Well, I believe it I, if
0: you did all that in college, because those are not <laughs> uh, pushover areas of study. Um, but that's kind of a blessing that you were doing that work at the time that you started to have cognitive decline. Because what I've understood after after the master class we did and all the conversations I had, the early detection is really key with a lot of these cognitive decline um, right. conditions. And they kind of sneak in if you're not yes. paying really close attention or you're not really aware. And I think administering memory tests and noticing that you're failing the memory test that you're administering, kind of a stroke of luck that that's what you were doing at the time that your your memory went south. But you said it was three. So you took a month off, a month, <laughs> and that turned into three years. Uh-huh. Um, do you want to share about the progression of of how that went? I heard you mention that you got worse before you got better, and I think... Sometimes that's important for people to hear.
1: Well, I think to hear how how bad it got, you know, Mm -hmm. because to just say I had some memory problems was kind of only the tip of the iceberg. I, 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 for a year, I had such bad fatigue that it was very hard to get out of a chair and leave my house. Um, and if I left my house and I walked into a store, the smells would give me more rashes and hives and brain fog. So I had developed chemical sensitivity. Um, but, um, If I was driving, I was a very good driver before, and I'm consider myself a very good driver now. But um, I lost the ability to parallel park. I would go to try to parallel park my car, and I would try and try, and I just I couldn't make it happen. I couldn't sequence the visual spatial stuff. I even even backing up would just freak me out. Like I just you know I just my brain would not work it wouldn't sequence things the processing speed was very impaired and um i think i've told you this story before but one time my husband got in the car with me and i was driving and he's like cat what's wrong with you you're like a little old lady and you know i was just anxious and cautious and you know because i was struggling you know so fortunately, i didn't go out much because you know, probably wasn't a good thing. Um, I I forgot how to use the computer and I would forget how to do these common things that I did all the time. And I would ask my husband, oh, Dorian, could you come show me how to do this? And he would get annoyed because he'd say, Kat, I just showed you how to do that yesterday or something. You know, and I wouldn't even remember that he had shown me how to do it. And then it started affecting my hearing and it wasn't really my hearing. It was my auditory processing, so I was having trouble hearing, and I was just kind of getting snatches of words. I've never been a TV watcher, but if I walked into a room where my husband was watching TV and I paused to listen, I would say, "Are they mumbling?" Because I couldn't understand what they were saying. And I I went several times to the ENT and had my hearing tested, and he would say, "You just have a mild hearing loss. It, it really shouldn't be impacting you," and then. I finally had a very terrifying experience one night. I had gone out to dinner with a couple of friends. It was fairly late. The restaurant was quiet. And I couldn't understand what they were saying. I literally could not participate in the conversation. I was just getting snatches of the words. And so I kind of, tried to calm myself down. It was pretty terrifying, right? Wait, I don't understand what anybody's saying anymore. And I sat back in and it was rude and I just read my emails because I just you know couldn't participate in the conversation. So the, I mean, I called my ENT the next morning and I went in and I said, just give me those darn hearing aids. Like I just need to try something because I, I can't function. And he looked at me funny and he said, you know, Kat, it's not in your ear, it's in your brain. and And, you know, he said, I think you have developed auditory processing problems. And so I had testing for that. And sure enough, I had auditory processing problems. Now, the person who tested me said, well, you must have had this all your life, right? Because some children are born with learning disabilities and Mm -hmm. learning differences. And and boy, I have so much empathy for the ones that have um, auditory processing problems because you just hear blah, 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 blah. And you, you, you can't you know, get the articulation. And I said, no, she said, well, you probably had trouble taking notes. So I said, no, I got paid to take notes in medical school. <laughs> yeah, actually I was part opposite. of the note taking service. Right. Yeah. You know, so, um, so I'd like to I, just
0: clear something up really quick yeah, with yeah. our senses, uh, hearing and vision, I'm guessing, and probably right. even touch and smell and everything well, mm-hmm. it's multiple steps. And the step that you thought it was, was you thought that your ear wasn't hearing the things properly, that you weren't receiving right. the sound properly. But right. then you receive the sound or the light or whatever it is for the sense. And that goes to the brain. And then the brain makes sense of the signal that it's getting. And then it projects something to our consciousness that we can like understand, right? Pretty right. much. So there's a step of if the, because the ear can be broken and then the brain doesn't receive the signal. But where right. your problem was, is the brain was getting the signal just fine. And then the output that you were getting was gibberish or broken. Right. The brain
1: could not decode or uncouple
0: and make sense
1: of of the input there.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Right.
1: And, you know, a hearing aid
0: isn't going to help you.
1: Right. At that time, it, you know, was, it didn't, I tried it and it it didn't, it didn't help me. Uh, But the good news is, you know, for everything that I've done on the healing journey, I no longer have that problem anymore. Yeah, and that's that's another problem. Of course, it's considered with kids that they're born with it, and you know they just have to learn strategies to manage it. But um, you know, like all of the things that we learned that were wrong, that now we know are true. One of the biggest is neuroplasticity, mm. right? That our brain can make new neuronal connections, and it can it can heal if we can help it before it's too far gone.
0: Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you head over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, that's K-I-T, and grab the RHT Starter Kit, which includes a sampler of four free videos from our professional masterclasses and webinars, the RHT Healthy Sleep Guide, the Wellness Vault coupon book, which will save you money on all of our favorite health-related tools and resources, a professional product guide, and a coupon for 15% off your first order in our shop. That's rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, K-I-T, and you'll get all that delivered right away. Also, if you're on Facebook, we've got a fun, engaging, and supportive group over there as well with thousands of health seekers just like yourself. Just search for Rebel Health Tribe and you'll find us. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. Okay, so we are now at the point where you learn that your issue is with the brain and not with the hearing. How far into your, does, you know, you said you got worse before you got better. Um, At what point along the journey was that realized that this was the brain and not the hearing? Was that early?
1: Well, you know, I think sometime in, you know, that year of being sick and all these things happening, it was clear that there was something wrong with Mm -hmm. my brain. Now, what do you do about it? Right here? I am a geriatric psychiatrist. I've done, you know a couple dozen Alzheimer trials, you know, I've worked with dementia and what was our treatment for dementia at that time? Get your affairs in order. Yeah, Take one You of knew these a whole bunch medicines. of things that didn't work, you know, and right. So, <laughs> you know, who do you see, right?
0: What was that like getting that, that diagnosis when you're from that world and that's what you believe about those conditions? I mean, 50 isn't the age in which you're supposed to be told to get your affairs in order.
1: Right. Nobody thinks that's
0: going to be them.
1: And, you know, I had treated a few patients with dementia in my trials in their 50s. And even back then, I knew that was something different than when you get it in your 80s. And when you people that got it younger, it goes much more rapidly. Um, And now I know, of course, that it's, you know, a result of you know, too much overwhelm for, you know, our immune system and, you know, too much inflammation and, you know, things start destroying the brain and, you know, it can be from multiple things as generally the case. It's multiple things that I had to uncover, discover and work on healing, you know, to get the brain healing to, to happen. But, um, I didn't know about functional medicine then. I, you know, had always been into I've always been a curious seeker, whatever works. I was interested in, you know, integrative medicine. I had an oriental medical doctor who was our primary care doctor for our family. We used, you know, acupuncture and she was also a naturopathic doctor. And back then I didn't even know what a naturopathic doctor was, but I just knew that this doctor was a healer and, you know, she was my doctor, Um, you know, because traditional medicine, they would just say, well, Take these pills, and they're going to maybe slow it down for a year. So, um, I I had to figure out another way, and I started taking a course. Um, I had read the book The Mood Cure with Julia Ross, and she um, works with what she calls neuronutrients, amino acids yeah. that have benefit for the brain. And so I um, I signed up to take a course with her. And we met once a month and, um, you know, it got me to at least get out of the house, you know, once a month and um, be around, you know, some colleagues and some seekers. But kind of as an outflow of that, I heard about a conference called Food is Medicine. And that's what changed my life. And that's what saved my life. Um so I talked to one of my other colleagues in there. I mean, we're, we're now friends. I met her through that course. And she said, you know, I went to that conference and she, she's a um, she family practice or internal medicine. She might be family practice doctor. And she said, I went to food as medicine. And she said, it changed my practice and it changed my life. And I'm like, whoa, that's what I need. Right. And, and those were very prophetic words. So, you know, I got another friend, another psychiatrist, and she and I went to that conference and it opened my eyes to so many things. Um, I thought I ate healthy. I mean, I, I followed directions, you know, and back then the directions of health were eat a low fat diet. Right. And now they tell us okay, the biggest medical mistake of the century. So I ate a low fat diet. And guess what? My cholesterol was really, really low. And I thought, oh, I'm so good. I'm not going to get heart disease. My cholesterol was like 135, which is really low. And so what I learned in my studies was okay, I'm not going to get heart disease. But guess what? It's one of the factors with dementia. Right, you don't have enough fat in your diet. Your brain is all fat. The myelin sheaths around your nerves are all fat. You don't have enough fat. You're not going to support your brain. And you know that's something that we've learned pretty clearly now. But that was certainly a an eye opener for me. And you know, just the notion of all the nutrient deficiencies in our soils, and even when we think we eat healthy, and we I was eating organic, you know, already for a long time by then, um, but that's not enough you know, to, to just do that. So in that conference um, back then, um, Mark Hyman was on the faculty, Patrick Hanaway and Patrick Hanaway was a, a good friend from medical school days. We were um, on the board of trustees at the American Medical Student Association together. And I hadn't seen him in quite a few years. So that was fun. And uh, Liz Lipsky, one of the nutrition um, teachers from IFM, and they kept mentioning IFM, which was the Institute for Functional Medicine. So I said, well, I wonder what that is. So I'm sitting in the back row and I Google IFM and I see that their next training module is autoimmune and allergy. And I said, whoa, that's what I need. Yeah. Right, That's what I need. So I signed up and I went to that conference and my head was just spinning because functional medicine is a big paradigm shift, there's so many details that you have to learn. But I couldn't learn right then, right? I had a sieve for a brain, I couldn't remember things, you know, um, I, you know, even writing everything down. And, and so, um, as an outcome of that, I started to create community a functional medicine practitioner community as a study group so that to help me learn you know i'm like where do you order that lab and where do you get that supplement and what is the dose of that and you know there's a lot a lot of things to learn it's a very steep learning curve uh, especially for a psychiatrist because in psychiatry i mean we're taught like you deal with the brain and forget the rest of the body yeah. right like they're you know which is so wrong right whatever happens in the body is what's happening in your brain so you know i had to learn all about lipids and blood sugar and hormones and you know all these and kinds it was so things. backwards
0: compared to what you had been taught i mean i've found that a lot of doctors have told me that have started in conventional medicine um, that it's actually harder like i've taken a couple ifm classes uh i have a master's in exercise physiology and i learned the same like starve yourself, don't eat any fat, eat broccoli and brown rice and tuna fish. <laughs> and I, I started out with that too. And I remember the weird shift when I started to hear this other stuff. And I was like, what? Like, I can eat butter? Like, what is this crazy? And I was so excited to hear it, but I almost didn't trust it because it sounded so nuts. But I've been told by a lot of doctors who started on, on the conventional side that it's almost harder to learn functional medicine Partially because it's, it's all new and it's, it's a steep learning curve, but because you have like, I'll call it muscle memory in the wrong direction, like in a, in an opposite direction of if this, then that it switches to, if this, not that, then this, and it's all these automatic. Connections and response. Right,
1: right. You've been indoctrinated. Yeah. Yeah. In these beliefs. Right. And I can tell you a great example regarding that cholesterol. So once I learned how essential cholesterol is, that it was a good fat, right, and not yeah. a bad fat. And it's the precursor to all of our hormones, all of our sex hormones, our thyroid hormones. You know, we need that cholesterol. And so I changed my diet and I started eating high fat at every meal. And One day I did my cholesterol level and it came back at 203. I remember that distinctly. And I just gasped because the doctor in me of, you know, 20 years or so at that time was like, oh my God, my cholesterol is over 200. But then I had to calm myself down and go, come on cat, you have all the data. You know that that is an optimal cholesterol for you. That is not you know, pathologic, that's not going to hurt you. But yes, I remember that so distinctly because I had to talk myself off the ledge like that that was too high, Yeah. but but it's not. So yes, it's a huge paradigm shift. And, you know, in, in the beginning with functional medicine, as people are learning, and I went through this myself, you have to change your thinking of like green pharmacy, right? Okay, you can use supplements instead of meds, but if you're having a disorder and you're giving a supplement for it, that's still not fixing the root cause of why is it there right you still have to go backward into your diet your lifestyle your stress you know because those are all factors so yes you can just like you can use medication because you need it you know if your blood pressure is high and you can't get it down you know there's reasons that you need medicine but you know to me now the goal is let's keep working backward to figure out how can we have you not need this in the first place so you know you do have it's certainly a shift of mind from you know that traditional allopathic doctor into this different way of thinking it it takes a while and it takes community like podcasts like this and all the teaching you do and you know groups that we have on facebook or you know i mean i had a I started a local, luckily I live in the San Francisco Bay area. We have some brilliant minds here. And, you know, all of us that were studying at IFM together, we formed a study group and we met regularly once a month for eight years. And we wrote back and forth on email in between and shared data and questions. And, you know, I would have never learned functional medicine without my group, right? That was, you know, that was my rock. And, and, you know, there's so much to learn that you need to share with people. And then yeah. so many people wanted to join my group and I wanted to keep it small because it was personal. And so I started a listserv, a Bay Area Functional Medicine Listserv. And we didn't advertise it, but just if practitioners wanted to join, they joined. And you know, after like a couple of years, we had a couple hundred people and it was a very involved um, listserv of people sharing information and data it was kind of before Facebook, you know, really took over and eventually the platform we used. Uh, closed down so um we couldn't find another good platform to to keep that group going but um but yes i think that's an important message like if you can't learn functional medicine or paradigm shifts in a vacuum right you need people to help you even without a sim for a brain you still need that
0: <laughs> yeah and i know a few doctors now through you and and mutual friends and things that were in your group and it's turned into quite the Quite the group of functional medicine rock stars. So it's probably interesting to see where a lot of people started and where they came from, or where they came from, where they are now and what they're all what you're all doing now versus those first few meetups when you were all starting to learn. But you said that you so you increased your fat intake, you started to really look at diet in a completely different way. And what are some other changes or um therapies or what did did your journey really look like like what what do you think were the things that moved the most the needle the most uh and on top of that when did you notice it start to shift
1: yeah yeah
0: your results like your your function you
1: know i definitely committed to the the ifm path and i was really just you know doing it to learn for myself and my patients and so so the immune, the autoimmune, and allergy, you know, was my overwhelm jump in because I hadn't done the five-day foundational course. Um, but
0: and is um, about as complex as a topic as you can. Exactly. Talk so where does
1: that take you next? It takes you to your gut. Okay. So the next module I took was GI, and you know I think GI is it's just where you got to go with everything for the root of health for autoimmunity for your brain it's just you got to have your gut in order and mine was not good and you know so what happened was kind of every module I took in IFM, you know you're your first patient right I would test myself I would learn on myself I would figure out what to do for myself and then of course that gives me the the background to help my patients after that so you know i did a lot of gut healing work and i mentioned i was allergic to everything all the foods well that's a severe leaky gut right um you know and the answer isn't to avoid 96 out of 98 foods it's to do more gut healing and one thing that i really did not get until very late in the game that i wished i had known in the beginning of the healing was, the role of stress reduction and the parasympathetic nervous system to heal. So, you know, I was restricting my diet and I, you know, cut out all the major things, gluten and dairy and soy and, you know, blah, 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 and you know, and took lots of glutamine to heal the lining of my gut and probiotics and et cetera. But it was not until actually I was already maybe already back at work. Um, and I listened to a podcast. Um, I think it was a mitochondrial summit and they had Annie Hopper on there from DNRS dynamic mm-hmm. neural retraining system. And she, I know, you know about it, Michael, but you know, she has a method of um, of rewiring your brain and, re- and your limbic system, right? Cause your limbic system is your emotions. So when you're sick, like I was, you get afraid everybody that is, that sick like I was reacting to everything and my brain was turning to mush and I couldn't get out of a chair because I was so exhausted um you're afraid and and then every little smell I would get fear like oh my god this is going to make me sick again or oh I ate the wrong food it's going to make me sick so your whole limbic system or emotional center gets activated and you get stuck in those loops and you know before I was sick I could handle stress just fine. I've had plenty of it in my life and it was just like, okay, I can, I'm fine. You know, I could work in an ER and be cool and, you know, um, but when I was that sick those couple of years, I was just emotionally a mess. Like the smallest thing would just put me over the top, right? Because I was barely coping. I was hanging off, you know, the ledge of the, by my fingernails and trying to maintain through every day. So a little small thing would just turn me into a blithering idiot.
0: Everything's um, relative in that. In and that, and that I
1: see that so universally in people that are thus sick, right? You know, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean you don't know how how to, you know, cope with stress or this or that. It's like your brain is inflamed and all everything's firing and you're so close to threshold, something little is gonna trigger your mm-hmm. brain some more and, and you can't cope. And so, you know, I'm more of a type A do things and you know, I've, through my life, I've done, you know, lots of yoga and qigong and tai chi and different things, but I didn't have a regular practice of, of stress reduction like that. And of course, what I've learned subsequently is, you know, when you're in that sympathetic overdrive running from the tiger, you're not in a healing state, you know, all the buzz going to the wrong place to regenerate, right? It's in the fight or flight. and mm-hmm. And so... In order to, you know, come to the, the best to really get your healing in order, right, you've got to find a way to lower that arousal, you know, and, and lower lower the stress levels, you know, and, and that's a hard thing when you're that sick. So, this DNRS, I listened to it, I was already back to work now, I recall, and I, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, like, this is an amazing thing. This could have really helped me a long time ago, and this could help my patients. Um, so. You know, that was something that I signed up and I went to her workshop and now I've had many patients benefit from that method. And, um, and she's not the only one, right. They have the gupta method and, you know, maybe you don't do that and, you know, you do something else. I mean, it's like, but it's finding some way every day to calm your brain down so that your body can heal. So that was something I missed completely, to be honest, you know, until I was three years down that path.
0: Well, even well, the was, functional medicine model is as great as it is, misses that sometimes like uh, that discussion. Right. I've, I've had clients when I was working with clients that would come in and they would, they would send me their laundry list of supplements they're taking in the lab tests that they took yeah. and the practitioners that they've seen and the books that they've read and the, this, right. and this, and then this, and then this, and then they'd still be having all these symptoms. And I'd be like, what's your stress level? Like, and they're like, I'm stressed out of my mind. And I'm like, okay let's start there because you're spending a lot of money on pills that aren't going to help you right now. And nobody had talked to them about that. They would have seen five practitioners and nobody had mentioned it. They would just like protocol them harder and you can't out protocol. um, And it it doesn't, like you said, the threshold changes. So stressed out of your mind when you're in that state doesn't take very much like it relative to somebody who's in like a resilient, vital, healthy state. And right. so people might look at them and it's almost like gaslighting. Like, what are you so stressed about? This is, you know, like your life objectively isn't that hard right now, but then they're sick and everything has this short um, fuse or window of tolerance, I guess, would be where it's at. And um, I found it often it was missed. That was the missing piece for so many people was they just their body was freaked out all the time for a, to put it right. not so scientifically.
1: Well, and all those patients ended up with me as mm-hmm. the psychiatrist, right? Oh, yeah, because so they were told they were told
0: that, that it was in well, their it's head. It's in
1: your head, right? Yeah, it's yeah. somatic. Now there's a diagnosis called somatization disorder, which really means it's in your head. That's a bullshit diagnosis. You know, I yeah. do not like it. It's not fair to anyone. And, you know, and now we have like even more sophisticated testing. You know, we can do like um the volumetric MRIs with neuroquant, and mm-hmm. we can see. From the MRI itself will look normal, but when you segment out the size of all of the brain structures, we'll see areas that are really um, overactive and inflamed and enlarged. And, you know, we can, now we're getting better at finding even a, an objective way like that to say, you're not crazy, look at this, your brain is inflamed, right? But um, but. I mean, that's what happens when you're having inflammation, your brain just gets on fire, right? Brain on fire. And it's, you know, and the answer isn't to, you know, yes, you might need to take some anti-anxiety meds or antidepressants, but really the real answer is to fix that. And as I Mm. said, and you've said, you've got to keep going, you know, back downstream, where did it start, you know, and, Mm. and what happened? Because, you know, now we know that when you have a difficult childhood, And you have a lot of stress in your childhood and you don't have to be raped and beaten, or you could have had a parent die or a parent. It can be simple,
0: emotional neglect, or like.
1: It could be all levels of things. Things that in this
0: society are considered normal.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean. (laughs) normal is that normal yeah. is the spectrum and most of it yeah, isn't yeah. normal right yeah yeah you know but now we know that when you have adverse child experiences mm-hmm. you have a much higher risk of immune disorders you know 20 years down yeah. the road and and now that's mainstream i mean johns hopkins yeah. was one of the big places that did that early research i believe and and you kaiser know, so, so um, so you you know you have to look at like what's happening in their stress, but then sometimes you got to look at the trauma held in the body, right? And and you have to work through all those layers, you know. To did, did you use the DNRS yourself? DNRS, I did. Yeah, use you did DNRS. the workshop,
0: and then you did the the home yes, home training. Yes, I did.
1: Because I'll tell you what happened. So um, I signed up at the last minute. And they had it at a really nice retreat center in Ojai, but they would filled up their rooms. They put me outside at a motel and the motel had all this black mold around the windows oh. and on the curtains and the room reeked of bleach. And wow. I really was no longer so chemically sensitive, but mold is a trigger for me personally. Yeah. And when I get exposed to mold, I get debilitating headaches, debilitating fatigue, and my brain turns to mush. And so what happened was my brain, I mean, I would come back to my room at night and I'd sit outside for a while and open the doors and try to ventilate it. And I thought, oh, I just need to be able to sleep and here. it. I should have got the hell out of there because in the DNRS I reverted back to somebody whose brain did not work. And one of you learn steps of a practice. And I was like having trouble again, learning. And I was already back to work by then, but um, you had to come up with an affirmation as part of your practice. And so I listened to everybody else's affirmations and I'm like, okay, I need something short because I couldn't remember my affirmation very well. So it, you know, it, it literally put me back in that, very you know bad cognitive state um, but the practice was helpful and you know technically they say you should do that for an hour a day for 6 months and you can rewire your brain well i came back to work and i could only do a half hour a day i could never get up to an hour a day but i still had very tangible benefits from that particularly in stress reduction you know my husband still will say you know you should go back to doing that you know if things get too stressful again he (laughs) said how's the best you ever were (laughs) you know kind of thing so um and it's it's an amazing shift and sometimes I have to work with patients they're too overwhelmed to even consider it
0: yeah
1: and you have to do things to lower their arousal to when they can finally even think about it consider it And and sometimes people shift so quickly from really bad stuff. Um, So yes, the role of stress and that for me, that was a farther down the path learning. Not that I didn't know about it, you know, (laughs) Um, but.
0: Okay. Yeah. You're not the first one that that I know that's, that's benefited from, from that program. And I know of Annie. Um, So Dietary, switched things up, more fats, cleaner foods, better nutrition. You studied the gut module and and did a lot of gut healing and gut testing um, and then worked on your stress and your nervous system. So you had more fats, healthier gut and the stress.
1: So then on to the nutrients, you know. I mean, like most Americans, I was deficient in vitamin D. I was actually very deficient in B12 because my gut was a mess and I wasn't absorbing things well. I was probably low in mag and zinc because, you know, I ended up taking those. Um, So, you know, measuring all those nutrient Mm -hmm. levels and giving back. nutrients that your body needs to function i actually ended up taking b12 shots for a couple of years and um my or medical doctor is the first one that said well listen i think you need a b12 shot let me give you one and she gave me one and it was a major awakening in my energy like by the next day i thought i was hypomanic i just felt like i had so much energy compared to the woman who couldn't get out of the chair and couldn't do a thing right and and But it lasted for three days. And so I went back to her the next week and I said, oh, Megan, that was so great. I felt like I was hypomanic for three days, you know, and it wasn't really hypomanic. It was just normal. energy." Yeah, normal. (laughs) I said, please make me hypomanic again. She goes, Kat, this tells me you need to take these twice a week. Which is what I did for a long time until I really healed my gut and everything. Then I took those yeah. shots twice a week, and I could feel when they would wear off. You know, I would crash and you know get better. So it was fixing all those nutrient levels, and then another piece was that that coincided with my final menopause transition. So it was hormones or lack thereof, and you know one of the things that I I actually already knew some about the role of hormones in the brain. I actually had a big file was learning about dementia and you know there was a body of literature out of UCLA and Stanford on that um, you know that i had studied somewhat but we know that you have receptors in your brain right for all of these brain hormones i mean they're sex hormones but we they affect our yeah. brain they're not just they're not just for the sexual organs and um and when i first started in earlier in perimenopause i had gone to my primary care doc years earlier and said, I'm having a word finding difficulty I'm I'm forgetting words. I just can't get the right word. And normally I'm a very articulate person and yeah, I can say what I want to say, but uh, I would just, I couldn't get the right words or even worse. A few times I would have word substitutions. I would say, you know, open the window when I meant open the door or, you know, things like that. And my doctor said, oh, well, welcome to perimenopause. She said, like, this is classic for perimenopause to have word-finding problems. And so, okay, I felt a little comforted for like 10 minutes. I went home and I thought about it. And I go, well, wait a minute. Okay, 50% of women are going to develop dementia, right? 50%, right? You know, one out of two. I go, maybe those of us that are having these cognitive problems, you know, from early menopause, during menopause, perimenopause, are we the ones that are going to get dementia? So this was before I had clear cognitive symptoms, I just had that word finding problem. Um, And sure enough, of course, that turns out to be one factor for people in their brains is, you know, the loss of the trophic support from the hormones, the brain can degenerate. And, you know, subsequently, I've learned that actually the brain makes its own hormones. So not just our sexual organs making the hormones, but the brain also makes estrogen and progesterone, and and so, um, so if your brain is functioning normally, it should make those hormones, right? But what happens if something is inflaming your brain or infecting your brain or toxins in your brain? Then it's going to disrupt that part as well. So, um, so for me, you know, once I learned all that I learned about hormones, I went on hormone support and you know dialed in all of the hormones and I can tell you that I never intend to stop my hormones you know I lost my brain once and you know I'm, I'm not going to be stopping stopping those hormones and when you take the hormones uh, you know at this point in life after menopause like you don't need to be your hormones at the level of a 20 year old but maybe the level of a 40 year old you know kind of the middle of the range is kind of where we look at to to help support people's brains so the hormones were another factor
0: hormones nutrients like vitamins nutrients fats gut healing stress reduction would you say those were kind of the pillars of your your own there's
1: more there's There's more more layers so then you learn about toxins and metals and infections so i do my we you know Great Plain Labs came out with their toxin panel, you know, some years back. So I do my toxin panel. Guess what? I have tons of, you know, two things in the red and a whole bunch of things in the orange and the yellow. I have a lot of toxins, kind of no surprise, right? I don't detoxify well, which is why I got sick and allergic to everything. And, you know, I'd already learned about methylation and supported my methylation system, you know, to help some of that detoxification, but... You know, then I find out, okay, I have all these toxins. And then I find out, okay, gosh, I have pretty high levels of lead. Well, well, lead can affect your hearing. You know, lead definitely affects the brain. It's a neurotoxin, causes neurodegeneration. So, you know, had to, you know, add in, you know, more stuff for detoxification, Um, which is kind of an ongoing process. When you have things like lead, you're working on that for years and years, you know, it's in your bones and, you know, uh, it's kind of a, a lifelong, you know, kind of always doing something for detox, you know, adding in sauna for the sweating. Like we know, of course, now that the sweating will mobilize metals and toxins from our system. And that's worked really well for a lot of my patients. Um, I never ate seafood. I just have an aversion to seafood. So I wasn't high in mercury. And um, and I had removed, I did have mercury fillings growing up, but I had removed those before I was ever this sick. Um, so detox with all those chemicals and, horm- and um, toxins. And then you come to the infections. And, you know, there's a lot of viruses and now we've learned this with COVID. COVID has kind of validated the kind of work that I'm doing because I look at all kinds of infections in the brain as some of the contributors to dementia and neurodegeneration. Um, But, you know, now we're seeing so many people get COVID and even young people are having brain fog you know, losing their sense of smell. So, you know, it's, you know, degenerating your brain and affecting that track into your brain, but there are many, many viruses and bacterial infections that like to live in that fatty hospitable brain tissue. And uh, I mean, I've researched that and I probably don't have all of them, but I have a two page list of things that I've found so far. So you know, kind of testing some of the biggies in myself and, you know, finding some high levels of viral titers. And I've had to treat Epstein-Barr. Um, and actually, you know, these viruses, um, you know, man, you probably know this, but they, you know, we don't eradicate them, right? When we get them, we get them, they integrate into our systems and, and we need our immune system strong to just keep them in check. And when our immune systems aren't working as mine was, and I think I I didn't tell you, but all my immunoglobulins were low. So I had all these immunoglobulin deficiencies at that time um, and low T cells. And I mean, my immune system was not pretty. Um, So then these viruses wake up and they reactivate and then they cause you trouble again. And when they're in your brain and they're active, then your immune system is designed to try to kill them, but they kill it by creating inflammation. And then if it's there for long periods of time, that inflammation will start killing your neurons. So I had to do things to try to knock down the viral titers. And then, you know, ultimately, you know, I, um,
0: Were you I, self-treating or did you work with a functional I, medicine practitioner?
1: Yeah, I could, I did. And when I was really, really sick, I, I, uh, had people that I worked with, um, uh, I know I consulted in the beginning a lot with Tom Salt, one of my IFM teachers who was super helpful. And, you know, so I would have consults with different people. But back then it wasn't so easy even to just find a yeah. functional medicine doctor. Right. Um, so a lot of it was uncovering treating myself. And as needed, I would consult with people. Um, and then, you know, at, at one point, I mean, I had never... T- I never tested positive for Lyme disease. You know, so many of our tests are very flawed and especially when like me, I don't make immunoglobulins. So I don't make antibodies to things very well. So you don't, doesn't show up in the testing, but, um, but it turned out, I've had head scans through the years and um, from having complicated migraines and the hearing loss, they're worried about tumors. So I had a couple of scans with that and, and, I have a lesion in my brain. There's two, one bigger than the other, but you could see through the years that that lesion was getting slightly bigger, slightly bigger. And um, so finally I consulted with two different neuroradiology people and they said, this is a demyelinating lesion and I think it's from Lyme disease. Um, so, you know, it's just like one more one more layer. It's just, you know, many, many factors. So it's just kind of sequentially finding these things, working out this one. Now what I know, I could have healed myself so much faster, right? Because now I know all these things. And so when I get a new patient, I just test, you know, if I get somebody that's really sick and broken, like I was, you know, I'll test everything up front, get the, the template. Okay. And Now I can see all these things wrong. And then you figure out what is your best order, you know, to work through them. But, um, but you can, you can work through these layers more quickly if you know all of the factors. I just kind of had to learn it one thing at a time on myself. Uh, but in the now the we mentioned the dementia research study that, that I just completed. We completed it uh, the one with Dale Redison and two other investigators. We completed in the end of uh, we completed it in December, and we're working on the data analysis now. But you know, we had patients with mild cognitive impairment or early dementia. And it was a nine month study. So I only had nine months to move the needle, right? And, um, you know, so we do all the testing up front. And, and I really learned a lot by seeing actually how fast things can shift. If you go full court press, if you have somebody that's committed, and they had to be committed to be in the study, right, they had to meet criteria, they had to commit to doing all of the things that we needed, we, you know, and, and there were a lot of things, it wasn't an easy study. But I saw people in three months, it would have like, you know, sky high CRPs come down to normal and hemoglobin A1Cs with their blood sugar control like 5.8 or 5.9 come down to like 5.1 or 5.2 in three months.
0: So those because are inflammation we, and blood sugar markers.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when I'm dealing with a bunch of things aggressively mm-hmm. and they're doing their, you know, diet, yeah, aggressively and they're exercise every day and they're you know we used some heart math for the meditative component since it's yeah. easy to learn and you know gave them a certain number of minutes and you know so when they're doing all the factors um it was it was really eye-opening to me how quickly some of these people could shift and over the nine months some of them were dramatically better early on and some of them got better and they would you know continue to get better um over the time but The the important thing of all of that is that all of my patients were improving in a study with mild cognitive impairment or early dementia. So remember, I told you the metric of a positive study is if they didn't decline as fast as normal, right? So, you know, I mean, I'm so excited. I can't wait until we have this data, you know, analyzed and put out there for publication for people to actually see our numbers and see what happened with these patients. When is that going to happen? We're working on it right now. I'm almost finished with the data lock to give to the neuropsychology professor to do the statistical. Quite a
0: bit to the process of getting from the numbers to the professor, to the review, right. To the publishing, to the.
1: It shouldn't be that we're trying to move as fast as we can move. So we're hoping to get everything done and the paper written maybe within the next 30 days. And then, then it's going to be trying to submit to some, you know, high powered mainstream journals and, um, you know, and see what they say, um, but it's um, it's so exciting. And I mean, I don't know. At least four, at least four or five of those patients. I had ten at my site. Um, maybe six of those patients. They wouldn't even qualify to be in a study anymore. I mean, some of them test better than I do. <laughs> you know, they just um, you know they they had dramatic improvements. And some of them are are definitely improved. And, and, you know, but it's a work in progress. I mean, you know, basically uh, there were reasons that all of their brains were degenerating, multiple reasons for all of them. And, and they have to keep working the program, right? You know, you can't just say, okay, now I can go back and stop exercising and stop meditating and, you know, eat what I want, you know? And um, so it's, it's, you know, time will tell who stays with it, who doesn't, what happens?
0: That's really encouraging. I can't wait to see it. There's, there's so many people that need to see the positive results and what's possible in the research. And and I know you guys, you can't really talk about it necessarily till it's published. So I'm not going to ask you to bend but any- I can cool. give you
1: those, those generalities. Yeah, the generalities.
0: I mean? Yeah, for it's, sure. I just- um,
1: it's, uh, I, I know the rules say that about it, studies yeah, and things, but people are super. probably going to be blown away. Well, it's super exciting. Dale Reddison called me last night and he goes, could you write up four case studies? He goes, these four patients of yours started out as Frank dementia, right? They're, they're you know, their MOCA scores, which MOCA now has taken over from the mini mental status, but, you know, they're like 18, 19, and there's some of them that went from 18, 19 to 30. I have several of those. 30 is perfect. 30 oh, wow. is better than I would get. Trust me. That's <laughs> um, amazing. And how long the was decade. the time? Uh, what well, was the nine month study? Nine months.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. And so- yeah. If you're not really putting all the pieces together right now of what she's been saying, it's that you can reverse dementia. Dementia
1: in remission. <laughs> yeah,
0: and this is something that I didn't know until fairly recently. I kind of had it lumped in with the conditions that, oh, once you have that, it's just about trying to slow the cascade, which is what you said is what is your understanding of it before you went through all of this was, we're just trying to slow the cascade. We're trying to slow the decline. We're trying to give them as many good years as we can.
1: Right
0: them lucid for their families like you know it was kind of a palliative almost like a long-term palliative care in a sense right and what we're learning now in this conversation and in the work that you're doing is that that's not true and we're not trying to imply i'll speak for you here we're not trying to apply that this is easy No. That it's really simple that you snap your fingers and, and the dementia goes backwards but that with the with the right approach it is possible to reverse cognitive decline.
1: Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I I think that it is important to partner with a physician that can help you with all the appropriate testing. And, you know, it's a criticism of functional medicine. Oh, they test too much. Well, how can we know? How can I know all those things were wrong with me if I didn't mm-hmm. have all those metrics of testing, right? So, um, so I'm a big believer of testing, but I'm testing things that, that are actionable right i'm testing things that okay now i can do something about that oh your mercury sky high no problem i'm going to take you off a of fish for a few months and you know give you some you know broccoli extract and have you do sauna and sweating and i can see their mercury's come down to nothing you know in three to six months by that approach so okay you know, it's, you have to test to know these things. And, you know, you don't want to be taking every potential supplement that, you know, you want to tailor it to what do you need, right? Yeah, the blanket Um,
0: approach can get very expensive and very wasteful a lot of the time, too. Um, the, The testing kind of lets you know where to aim, at least instead of Right, tons right. of unnecessary supplements and protocols and things. So.
1: so that's one of the things that, you know, I have a chapter in the book that I'm working on and it's changed since I started it, you know, the testing that I do, uh, you know, but um, you know, I, I, you know, have all that information really clearly, you know, that, you know, I hope to share with people like, you know, for doctors to know what to test and for the patients to know what they should be asking their doctors to test because much of this testing can be gotten through traditional insurance. If your doctor will order it and can write the appropriate codes to justify why you need it. But if you're having a neurodegenerative disorder, you need it, right. Or a serious immune disorder. You need to look at all these things, right. Metals can cause immune disorder. Toxins can cause immune disorder. Infections can cause immune disorder. Unregulated blood sugar and lipids can, you know, kill everything. Right. So you just have to look at all those layers to, to make sure, you know, and if you don't have them, you check it off.
0: off. It's going to be a huge resource for people. And um, it's incredible. Like you're still working with, Patients and you're doing the study, Dr. Bredesen also trains physicians, correct? He trains doctors. There's a protocol that he created or a training that people can go through. You know, he
1: did just restart that. He, you know, he started his own protocol training way back when, because I did all that with him in the beginning. And um, and then uh, he did it as part of IFM for a while. Okay. And then they quit doing that. And so now he um, just has launched something in this past year as part of his. Now his group is called Apollo. I think it's called Apollo Health. Okay. And and um and so he just started a pro. It's new, and I do know a couple a couple of colleagues that are um, doing that training there.
0: Okay, great. I'm just. I know people will ask. They'll want to know how to find a doctor that's literate in this stuff, and I. When people have asked me in the past, before I met you, I would tell them to look for and Protocol trained doctors who were familiar. And that would at least be a good ground, a good base of.
1: Well, and you know, I mean, there's still uh, not enough and doing the training is not enough. So if you really haven't done all the functional medicine training or something equivalent, there's, you know, IFM's not the only game in town, but um, you know, you need a, a, a physician that understands toxins, infections, hormones, nutrients, gut health, you know, um, stress reduction. So an advanced functional medicine practitioner who has, you know, done this for a while and, and really knows how to work to these layers, they don't necessarily have to have done the medicine training, um, but it's just really knowing how to assess everything and then peel all those layers of the onion to let the health come back and
0: let the brain come back you know amazing it's it's just incredible and it's for people who have relatives or loved ones or partners or themselves or anyone who have faced these diagnoses like it's a punch in the gut like it is a big diagnosis to get I mean I wouldn't I don't like to compare diseases but it's it's something you don't want to hear from your doctor that, oh, we think you have early onset dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that's not a good day when you hear those words. And this work is really, and others, I mean, you two don't have the monopoly. I the only ones working in this area, but there are a lot of people doing this work. And it's, if we can shift that from a, this is how it's going to be for you to, this is how it could be for you. And this is what you can choose or not. And then Um, really empower people to to realize that. I mean, this is I don't want to call this a secret, but I can guarantee you that most people don't know about this still at this point. And so it's getting the word out, it's sharing the information, it's getting the book out on the market, it's getting the studies published, and then people like myself being really loud about it and telling everybody that that watches our stuff. And so um it's just I mean, you've you've run the gambit. I mean, you were working with patients and studying patients who had these conditions and you were watching them not get better. You were watching these, these drugs fail. These, these studies fail. So you'd witnessed what it does. You've witnessed these people decline. Then you get the symptoms. Then there was probably, it can't be me. It can't be this. And then it was, and I'm sure that wasn't a great thing to hear and it was scary and it was, you know, overwhelming. And then you're trying to learn functional medicine while you're dealing with cognitive decline which I learned functional medicine in full mental capacity. And it's very hard. <laughs> yeah. So, um, But once you started to see turning the corner, once you started to notice, like, I feel a lot better. I have way more energy. My skin is not reacting to everything that I eat. I'm not you know, forgetting all my words. I'm able to do my work. I'm back in the office. Like that had, that has to just be so empowering. Like it's, you know, you went through the, the scary and the frustrating and the hard and and came out and um like what is that like to know the where you were to where you are now and what's possible
1: you know i mean i do believe that it was my path to go through that you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: god or the higher power said you need to learn this from the inside out and I, I learned all those layers. As I said, I kind of had some of everything wrong almost, you know, I didn't have bad lipids, but I had everything else. Actually, I did have one bad lipid. that's a genetic kind that I have had to deal with, but, you know, when definitely, when you go through it yourself, um, now I see that, I mean, okay, it took a lot of my life and all my savings, you know, cause I couldn't work and my kid was in college and, you know, but, but I came out of it definitely on the other side with my brain back and and relaunched a whole new career, right? Doing functional medicine. What a pivot. And and so in some ways it's a blessing, right? It just it opened up so much for me to be a much more effective healer and you know to help empower people to heal. Um because I'm not just telling you what I learned, I'm telling you that I did this myself, right? I, I know these, I know these horrors and you know, in the time when you're in it, you're just trying to survive. I mean, people yeah. ask me, "Was I scared?" I actually was too overwhelmed to be scared. I was just trying every day to just, yeah. you know,
0: to I've been there with that with mirror the brain with, with to flares. function. You
1: know, and and there finally came a time where I could go and do one thing in a day, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, "I can do one thing a day," and then suddenly I could do two things in a day. You know, so it was definitely a whole incremental process. But, um, and, you know, can I say that, am I totally well and fine? No, when you have immune disorder, it's a, it's a process. You have to still manage it, you know, things can, you know, come and go, but I am a thousand percent better, a thousand percent, not a hundred percent, you know, as far as my brain functioning. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm so grateful to all of the community of people, you know, that had the the brains and the guts and the passion you know to to bring functional medicine here you know and then it's been sort of my you know privilege to support you know other people you know on this path other you know uh, practitioners you know because gosh we 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 need all of medicine to embrace this right you know Yes, we need a place for surgery and infectious disease doctors, of course, you know. But what yeah, but we, conventional uh, medicine's
0: management of chronic diseases leaves quite a bit to be desired.
1: You know, so. we didn't we didn't train in that. You know, no. we really just like give a diagnosis and give a pill or make a surgical intervention. That is the training. So you know, that would be the next frontier: is how can we, you know, make inroads into the medical schools. And that is happening to a small extent. I mean, I do have some colleagues that are doing some courses. One of one of my functional medicine group members teaches at USC um, with some of the integrative and functional stuff. And I believe uh, uh, Datis Karazian and Ari Vajani were both teaching at UC Irvine. And another functional medicine practitioner I know was teaching at UC Irvine. So I know they have an integrative program that um, at least it gives people electives to um, look at other integrative methods, but you know, it's I definitely think growing. That's, if we can get them in training so mm-hmm. that they don't have to undo all the things that they learned that turn mm-hmm. out not to be correct. Um, because so many things were told to us as dogma, but then when you say, when you learn something different you see research to the contrary and you say, well, wait, I learned that. And then you look it up and there's not data to support things mm-hmm. that I learned. Uh, as as dogma
0: well the data that you're creating with dr bredesen will be data that can be pointed to and that's what i think it's not as sexy and flashy and all these things to do these clinical studies it's a lot of work it's a lot of uh i mean just what happened with you this weekend with your numbers and the data and the thing you texted me that you were up all night fixing numbers on a on a spreadsheet like right but that Data studies, clinical studies, and data is what shifts the conventional medicine and the medical schools and the way things are treated because they want to see the data, the the anecdotal studies of or stories of, oh, I was this and then I'm this. Like you can't recreate it and prove it, and somebody else can recreate it. They don't care.
1: Right, and exactly. It's like, oh
0: well, then you were misdiagnosed. Then you couldn't have actually had dementia. Because I, I've, I've met right. people who have been told that too by their doctors. Sure. Oh, we missed sure.
1: Or Parkinson's or yeah. MS. Mm-hmm. You know, people that have healed their. Yeah, you know, the Terry Walls never actually had MS. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Somebody else yeah. we're interviewing for this season too is is Dr. Walls, and yeah, he's received a lot of criticism too. Oh, you must have had a misdiagnosis. You can't go from a wheelchair to riding bikes with MS, and um she just smiles at them and says okay and now she's doing the studies like you guys are doing them in iowa and it takes everybody together you know people with the the megaphone and getting the news out the publishers of the books the people doing the studies the clinicians actually working with the patients like it's it it's a machine that needs to have all the parts pulling and moving and, and growing thank you for for everything you're contributing to that if if they want to find I have your website uh, DementiaDemystified.com. dementia demystified.com. Is that still the best place for people to Yeah,
1: that'll that'll direct. So you that's back. where your
0: news, info, programs, your book is going to be there. Um, I'm assuming once the research is published, it'll be up there too.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. In the okay. meantime, I have um, I have a YouTube channel where you know mm-hmm. I'll put you know some of my talks and um,
0: Yep. You, you just know. look for cat Tubes MD on YouTube. yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's there. you you have enough. You have enough people that YouTube lets you use your own name on your channel. So you've hit the big time. Um,
1: <laughs> I uh, wouldn't say it's the big time. No, but so you know, YouTube it helps channel. to have to ref, stuff to refer people to. I do have, I have a talk. Yeah. I gave, uh, one of the, you know, national medical conferences, age management for medicine group in 2019. So, um, and, and so I was able to purchase the video of that from the conference and put it on there. And that goes through, you That's know, it's a talk great. that I give to doctors and, but it, it shows you all the labs and et cetera. So it's kind of a technical talk. And, um, Very and useful then I for have
0: practitioners. A, so if you're a practitioner watching this, check that out for sure.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I whatever, you know, if I have any podcast things that can be shared, I put them on there. And and then I, I have a, a Facebook group or work yep. Facebook group where I just try to share um, positive studies as we learn things you know, I try to stay away from the doom and gloom. We don't want to hear the doom and gloom. We want to know how can we get better? So, you know, I try to post interesting research that catches your your
0: cat tubes, MD functional psychiatry and dementia on Facebook. Yeah. 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 Search for that on Facebook. We'll have links to on the show notes and everything on the post. So you can find the clicks just below. I just like to say them out loud at least once. So check out the website, the Facebook, the YouTube, um, we'll get any other links for you that are relevant. Once the study comes out and it's published, we'll get it below. So depending on when you're watching this, you can just scroll down and click it. Yeah. Uh, like and to... we, have,
1: we have funding now for the next study.
0: That's great. Amazing. What study. And it'll that, study. I know you can't talk about exact results, but I, I know this much about clinical research and, and studies is that study number two doesn't get funded. Unless there's pretty positive results in study number one. And oh it's
1: it will be positive. So it's always a good <laughs> it's always a good
0: news. When I hear somebody study, like oh they got another study funded, or there's two more studies funded, then I always know that what they're doing is working because yeah. people don't dump money into studies that are not showing promise. So right. I can't wait to see. I'm so excited. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing. I know you're you're in the middle of it right now, so when people see those studies, like right now is kind of the crunch time where you guys are getting all the moving pieces put together and out and getting to publishers and you're still working on your book. So I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to, to share your story. I just think it's, it's so important that people hear these stories from. Right. I like to,
1: I like to leave it at dementia is not a death sentence.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's
1: the paradigm shift that I want people to believe and, you know, we're not a hundred percent. We can't, we can't help everybody up, but so many people can be, you know, helped reversed. And so just shifting from, you know, that particular dogma is the most important thing for people to believe, right. You can't get well if you don't believe.
0: Absolutely. That's why we're leading with that. With this first season of the podcast is all about belief and inspiration and seeing that it can be done. And we'll talk later about how, more about how to do it. But this yeah. is just about seeing it firsthand, and and yeah. and your living example of it. So thank you, and thank you for for paying it forward. A lot of people helped you, and they uh, did,
1: they did. And you know, I'm just, you know, I've been blessed to have such wonderful community, and um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today without all of them. You know, I would be drooling in a nursing home a long time ago. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Well. Thank you it's, so much, Dr. Toops. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Your story is so inspiring and the work you're doing is incredible. And I'm grateful that I get to even get your ear for a little bit to hear about it and to help share it and, and get the word out to to rally the troops to, to keep this moving forward and keep more studies happening and more books coming out more people yeah. realizing that dementia is not a death sentence. So yeah. thank you yeah. so much. I look thank forward you, to- Thank you, Michael. I appreciate time. you
1: and all that you do to, you know, share all this with everybody. It's super great.
0: All right. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of today's episode. Head on over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit to access the RHT quick start bundle, which includes four full length presentations from our RHT masterclasses, two downloadable PDF guides, and a 15% off coupon, which you can use in our retail shop. If you're on Facebook, come join our Rebel Health Tribe group over there. And finally, if you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon.